Thank you, Pastor Tim, for that prayer supplication. And I appreciate the fact that he set the tone of our prayer of supplication as a humble plea to God for help. And I'll assure you this morning as I'm preparing to preach through Psalm 119, I am praying deep in my spirit, oh Lord, help me. And you'll understand why. Some of the unique facts about Psalm 119, and of course this is embedded within a series of of messages I've been bringing entitled Life Lessons from Psalms. And I pray that God will open up your eyes to principles that will be applicable in your life that will help you to live your life more in accordance to God's will through these wonderful truths that we find in the book of Psalms. But consider Psalm 119. With 176 verses, it is the longest of the Psalms. It is, in fact, the longest single chapter in the Bible. Now, I can tell you, you're already getting nervous. It, it's embedded right dead center in the Word of God, almost to the very page. And that excludes the maps and concordances and things like that. In fact, Dr. John MacArthur, in his commentary, called the Psalm 119 the Mount Everest of the Psalter. It's this majestic psalm is, is rightfully entitled... The meditations on the excellencies of the Word of God. What a, what a powerful, voluminous psalm. It is a depiction of the psalmist's great, deep devotion to God and his trust and commitment to God's holy scriptures. And if you've ever read a love letter to God for his word, this is it. This is a love letter about the word of God. And so I hope that it stirs something in your spirit and in my spirit. But then as we look at the structure of Psalm 119, it's interesting because the scholars call this one of the psalms that is an alphabetic acrostic. And by that, you'll notice that the psalm is arranged in 22 stanzas or strophes. These 22 stanzas all begin with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet and all the subsequent lines also. So it follows the Hebrew alphabet letter by letter. And the psalmist uses a number of synonyms, if you will, as he talks about God's word. He'll use terms like the law. The word, uh, testimonies, statutes. He'll talk about the word as commandments and ordinances, precepts and promises and judgments. So as we explore this scriptural jewel this morning, uh, I want to put your mind at ease. I, I think we can do it without having to take a lunch break. It's a good thing we brought lunch today in case we have to take a break and go eat lunch and come back and finish. But I hope I can do it prior to lunch. But anyway, you be praying as, as God uh, allows me to preach. So we're going to begin in the beginning, in verses 1 and 2 in Psalm 119. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with the whole heart. You know, it's interesting as I look at that first verse there, those first verses, it's very reminiscent of the first psalm, psalm number 1 and verse 1. Where the psalmist in Psalm 1 verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the way of the ungodly, or stand in the path of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And this is what he's saying here. Blessed is that person who's not undefiled, but who walks in the way of the word of God. Let that challenge you. The psalmist says in verse 2, Who seek him with the whole heart. 
Do you seek God through His Word with your whole heart? Now what we'll do, instead of reading through the whole thing, we're going to take a, a verse or two out of each one of the stanzas. And so we'll get through it that way, and that should put your mind to ease a little bit. So drop down to the second stanza at verse 9, and you'll see there he says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Look at verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Some great, great words. In fact, the psalmist is writing here almost as if he's writing in wisdom literature. Like you would find, for instance, in Proverbs. He's given great words of wisdom. Great words of advice for those young disciples who are beginning to start out in life. Oh, listen, I wish to goodness that I had taken to heart these very words as a young man starting out in life. Because it's psalmist is saying make sure that you have your foundation on the word of God how can a man prepare a solid foundation how can a young woman prepare a solid foundation upon which to build their life he says build your life by cleansing it by heeding the word of God Uh, you know there's so many people that start off their life as young adults uh, by building a faulty foundation they'll start off with a foundation that's riddled with sin and sinful habits and sinful relationships and and get uh, their priorities out of way out of of order and then they wonder later in their life why their marriages are going uh, south and why their their families are coming apart and why their careers are, are, are crumbling and why there's no happiness and joy listen Listen to what he says. He's giving great words there. Cleanse your way with the word of God. And then we go to the next stanza. Look at verse 18. He says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I love the way that the psalmist appeals to God to use the word of God to open his spiritual eyes. To, to reveal to him the things that God would have us to say. What a, what a wonderful prayer to begin your day. What a wonderful prayer, that verse 18, to begin your morning devotions by praying, Oh Lord, open my eyes that, that I may see. You see, God is a wonderful God. He wants to reveal many wonderful things to us if we appeal to him, if we show an interest, if we're motivated for that. I think about in Jeremiah 33 where the Lord says, Call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you what wondrous things that you don't know that you can't know unless I reveal it to you and the psalmist says oh Lord open my eyes that I may see these wonderful things that you have in store with me as we go to the next stanza and look at verse 25 the psalmist says my soul clings to the dust Revive me according to your word. I, I, I think about as I read that psalm, the weightiness of life circumstances, the, the effect that living in this sinful world has upon us. I, I can't help but think about, and I'm not a physicist, but the second law of thermodynamics that says that everything is in a state of deterioration going down. Do you understand that living, the, living our lives as Christians, as God's people in this sinful world, is like living it with the spiritual uh, law of gravity working against us. Just like gravity is always pulling us down and always pulling things down. Let me tell you something. This world, this sinful world in which we live, is constantly pulling us down. Constantly reminding us of our limitations. Constantly reminding us of our own mortality. 
and pulling us down. But look what the psalmist says there. He says, my soul clings to the dust. In other words, he says, I know of my mortality. I know that I am on my own nothing. But then he says, revive me according to your word. When you're feeling pulled down by this world, when you're feeling overburdened by this world, when you feel you're limited, listen, go to God's word. God's word has a power to revive you. God's word has a power to refresh you and me and I'll walk with him every day. As we look at the next stanza and we look at verse 33, the psalmist makes this appeal. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I shall keep it to the end. You know, I think that's important because there we see the psalmist making an appeal to God. Uh, Lord, I want to, I want to finish well. If you will help me, Lord, I will keep your commandments. I will keep your statutes. I will keep them to the end. I shall keep it to the end. I I can't help but think about probably one of the greatest servants of the Lord that walked the face of the earth, and that was the Apostle Paul. And you know, the Apostle Paul was one who finished well. You talk about an example of somebody who finished well. Over in 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 6, listen to what Paul says. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let me tell you, is that, the, is that what you're going to be able to say at the end of your life? You can by leaning on God's Word and trusting in God's Word. Listen, when you look to God's Word on a regular basis and make it the very source upon which you stand, the foundation upon which you stand, you can finish well. God will help you. The reason Paul could finish well is because he was solidly founded on the Word of God. He based his ministry, his life, his everything upon the infallible Word of God. You can finish faithfully and you can finish fruitfully by depending upon the Word of God. Amen? And I praise God for that. Then as we move further into the next stanza, I'll direct your attention to verse 41 and then verse 47. He says, Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. Listen, we just celebrated the the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. It is a celebration of salvation. Do you understand? And listen, we don't earn that. We don't deserve salvation. We deserve hell. We deserve to be separated from God for eternity. Do you understand the only reason that you and I receive the the wonderful gift of salvation is because God is a God of mercy. God is a God of love. God is a God of amazing grace. And we are the wonderful recipients of that. And he says, oh Lord, let your mercies come also to me. Your salvation according to your word. Look at verse 47. And I will delight myself in your commandments. Does God... God's word bring joy to you as you stop and think about the mercies of God, the love of God, the salvation that God extends to you. What does it generate in your heart? Is there a spirit of appreciation? Does it cause you like the psalmist to say, I will delight myself in your commandments? Sometimes I'm afraid God's people go to the word of God like people go to castor oil. And you know, as if, oh my goodness, I've got to read my devotion today. I've got to spend some time in the Word today. I've got to sit and listen to a teacher teach the, the, the Bible again today. Listen, it ought to be an absolute joy when you consider the role that God's Word is intended to play in the life of His people. As we look at verse 49 in the next stanza, the psalmist says, Remember the Word to your servant, upon which you have caused me to hope. Where is the hope in your life? Where do you look to to find hope? You see, knowing the absolute truthfulness and reliability of the Scriptures gives us hope. 
Listen, dear Christian, take the Word of God out of the life of a child of God and I'll tell you what you have. You have a hopeless existence. Apart from the Word of God, there is no revelation of God. And if there's no revelation of God, then there is no hope. We're doomed in a sinful world. But God gives us this wonderful uh, word that reveals the plan of God for our lives. And the psalmist says, remember you, the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. As we look at verse 57 in the next stanza. The psalmist says, you are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. And look at verse 62. At midnight I will rise and give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. As we look at this particular stanza, I call it a formula of trust. A formula of trust. Because you see, our God belongs to us. And we belong to Him. Do you remember in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus that we looked through in our Christian growth group, God was saying to the nation of Israel, a former band of slaves that had been liberated by the hand of God. They were nobodies on the world scene. They had nothing to give them a name. And the God of the universe said through Moses to them, to that former bunch of slaves, I will be your God and you will be my people. Hey, listen, if that doesn't cause you to have a sense of esteem, if that doesn't cause you to feel like you're somebody, something's wrong. Listen, we can have a wonderful relationship of trust knowing that our God is our portion. You belong to Him by virtue of your salvation through Jesus Christ. You've been adopted into the family of God. But you can go out there into the world and say, Among all the false gods of the world, there's only one true living God. And He is my God. He is my portion. He belongs to me. And I belong to Him. Listen, that ought to cause confidence. You know, it's interesting as you look at verse 61. This this very stanza is written in the midst of travail it's written in the midst of trial it's not he's not on a picnic this is not an easy time for him look verse 61 says the cords of the wickeds have bound me the psalmist often throughout psalm 119 will make reference to the hardships he's suffering the the trials he's going through the injustices he's suffering but in the midst of the trials in the midst of the hardships in the midst of the injustices look what he says in verse 62 at midnight i will rise to give thanks to you do you understand That even when you're going through the hard, painful times of your life, you can give thanksgiving to God. A lot of times when people are wrestling with problems and they go to bed and they toss and they turn and they get up and they wring their hands. Listen, do you understand as a child of God whose life is based on the Word of God, you can get up in the middle of the night and you can just give thanksgiving. Isn't that reminiscent of what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 when he says, Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known unto God. Don't wait till God has acted. Don't wait till He's re- resolved everything. In the midst of the 
fiery trial, go ahead and give thanksgiving. When's the last time you got up at midnight? Just raise your hands towards heaven and said, oh, thank you, God. You're an awesome God. You're a wonderful God. I don't have to worry, Lord, because you have me in your wonderful hands. Praise the Lord. As we look at verse 69 and 70 in the next stanza. The psalmist says, the proud have forged a lie against me. Some of you probably feel like that. Maybe at your school or at your work or maybe at a family uh, get-together. I don't know. But the proud have forged a a lie against me. But I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease. But I delight in your law. I like to think, and I'm sure my daughter-in-law Heather would probably get a kick out of this. This particular verse or this stanza here is truly a heart-healthy prayer. A heart-healthy prayer because he's talking about a heart filled with grease. Now, don't you mind you going over to uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken? Well, no, we'll probably have some fried chicken here. But anyway, you go ahead and eat your fried chicken, but eat it in moderation. But I'm not talking about your physical health here. He's talking about the contrast between his own heart and the heart of those who seek to persecute him. He says their hearts are filled with deception. Their hearts are are, are filled, filled with lies. He said their hearts are calloused and hard and they're full of grease, he says. But in contrast, he says, oh no, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. I will delight in your law. Is your heart, dear friend, filled with the Word of God? Is your heart this morning filled with the truths of the Scriptures? That makes for a good, healthy heart. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there in the world that we can bring into our lives, spiritually speaking, if we're not careful. And we can find our spiritual arteries getting clogged. And we can find ourselves being weak and anemic and ineffective in doing God's work. Make yourself healthy by getting into the Word of God. Look at verse 73 in the next stanza. In verse 73, your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. You know, I think about this and it parallels what I find, what we find in Psalm 139. Now, grant you the abortion clinics and Planned Parenthood don't like to go to that particular chapter, Psalm 139 in verse 13, where the psalmist says very clearly, you form my inmost parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. There's no one better to teach us the Word of God than the very one who created us, who shaped and fashioned us. No one understands us better than the Creator Himself. And no one understands the Word better than the one who gave us the Word. And He says, "You have shaped, you have, Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Let me tell you something. There is no greater teacher than God Himself. He understands us and He understands His Word. In verse 83, in the next stanza, verse 83 for those of you that have walked through life many miles, you've, you've been faithful, you've endured many trials, you've endured many temptations, you've endured hardships and crises and trials and, and, and all those types of things. You, you may find uh, an, an ability to relate to what he says in verse 83. He says, for I have become like a wineskin wine in smoke. 
And you say, wait a minute, what is that? It's a, it's a, a, a bladder, if you will, made of skin in which they would, they would store the wine and, and they would take whatever they were drinking and they would carry that with them. I, I have the image of a traveler uh, who carries this flask, if you will, this leather flask, and he, he's out in the wilderness and he's camping out and by the fires he hangs his wine skin with his, with his wine in it or whatever he's drinking, water or whatever, and he hangs that flask and it's by the fireside and, and day after day and week after week and year after year through the rain and the snow and the hardships and all these, as that flask is set there by that fire, it becomes uh, blackened by the soot. It becomes uh, cracked and, and, and dry and hardened. And yet, David, uh, the psalmist says, yet I do not forget your statutes. Listen, sometimes as we go through life and we go through the hardships that life brings upon us, we become like that wineskin. You know, we become maybe soot covered with this filth of the world that, that has contaminated us and maybe we feel like we're getting to be somewhat hardened and cracked. And, but let me tell you something. Here's a hope. Here's a hope. God doesn't look at the exterior. It's, the psalmist is not judging the wineskin. He's looking at what's inside of it. Do you understand? Maybe you are like me. Sometimes I feel like I'm not very attractive and not very useful. I feel unattractive or useless. But let me tell you something. I know that my God, even though I'm very weathered at this point in my life and, you know, going through some trying times and, and maybe, you know, just like that wineskin. It may not look as good as I did when it started out fresh. But I got, I got great hope because God is the God who looks at the inside. Didn't He tell Samuel when Samuel went to anoint David? Didn't He tell him man looks at the outside? But God looks at the heart. Don't let other people judge you. You make sure if you've got God's Word hidden in your heart, treasured in your heart, that's what God's looking for. That's the value that He sees in your life is that you are living a life based on the truths and the teachings of His Word. Listen, determine like the psalmist did there in verse 73, yet I do not forget your statutes. I won't forget your Word, Lord. As we go to the next stanza in verse 89, he says, Forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. Forever. How long is forever? Well, in the Hebrew, it's forever. God's Word, let me tell you something. God's Word didn't originate here on the earth. It's not a man-made creation. God's Word did not originate here on the earth, and it's not up for debate here on the earth. It's not up for updates here on the earth. God's Word originated in the throne room of God. It originated from the heart of God. And the Word of God tells me that our God is absolutely unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and yes, and forever. And so will His Word be. And the psalmist is making that declaration there. Forever, O Lord, Your Word is settled in heaven, untouchable by men. Now, we have critics of the Word. We have those who are doubters of the Word. But I'll tell you something. It does not change one iota of the truthfulness and the validity of the Word of God. And so, we can stand firm on the teachings of the Scriptures down through the centuries. In verse 97, as we look at the next, and then verse, in verse 97 and verse 99... He says, oh, how I love your law. Remember, he's talking about the Word. It is my meditation all the day. 
And as you look at verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for, all, for your testimonies are my meditation. I think I heard Brother Ramon say something like that coming back from seminary. I'm just kidding, Ramon. But you know what? I, I, I think about when I was in seminary, at Southeastern Seminary, and, and I, I fondly sometimes say kidding. It was back in the dark ages. Because at that time, back in the mid-80s, the semin- all of our seminaries were basically under lib- liberal scholar leadership. And, and so I had professors who were standing up before classes of us. They had their long degrees and pedigrees and what have you. And they would stand up before classes of us, you know, uh, young minister students. And they would say, they would question the historicity of the first five books of the Bible. They would question whether Moses was the author. They would question the great miracles of the Old Testament, like Jonah being swallowed by a whale. While there were even some professors that questioned the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. You don't know the times I sat in those classrooms and it was like, you know, garbage in, garbage out. (laughs) But you know what? I sat in those classrooms and I thought to myself, just what the psalmist is saying here when he says, I have more understanding than all my teachers Listen, let me tell you something. I was thinking about it. I said, you know what? My, my godly granddaddy back there on that tobacco farm, he barely had any education, maybe two or three years in, in school of any formal education. But I'm going to tell you something. He was vastly greater in understanding the Word of God than many of those professors with all their degrees and pedigrees. You know that? Let me tell you something. When you are in the Word of God, and you are, listen, the psalmist says, and I meditate on your Word. When you are in the Word of God, and you are meditating upon the Word of God, do you know who your teacher is? It's the Holy Spirit. You don't get any better than that. Give me the opportunity to set before the Word of God, and open my heart up to the Spirit of God, and I'll hold that against any teacher. The psalmist says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. Now let me qualify something very quickly here. Lest y'all stop going to the Christian growth group and those types of things. We do need the guidance of qualified, gifted, godly teachers to teach us the Word of God. They help to expand upon what God reveals to us when we meditate upon the Word of God. But make sure that you spend time letting God teach you from His Word. As we look at Psalm uh, at the next stanza, verses 105 and 106. And, and for many of you, this is probably a memory verse. And you probably stand up and quote it. Your word is a, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. That's usually Bible school. You know, when we talk about giving our pledge to the Bible, that's usually the verse that we'll quote there. Your word is a lamp to my feet. A light to my path. You know, I don't think many of us as Christians can appreciate that until you consider the words that Paul taught us over in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. Listen to what Paul describes about the, 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 the fate of the lost. He says in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 4, in chapter 4, He says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God, little g, of this age, speaking of the devil, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. 
In verse 6, Paul goes on to say, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now some of you, because of the storms that ravaged our area, were left in the dark because your power went out. Janice, we feel for you, sister. And it's a terrible thing to get up at night or be kind of maneuver through your house and poof, the lights go out. Do you know how dark it gets at, you know, at night when there's no light? And you find yourself fumbling through the house and banging into things and bumping your head and maybe, heaven forbid, stumbling down the basement steps. It's a terrible thing to be fumbling in the dark. But let me tell you something. That is exactly the spiritual state of those who do not have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Scripture says it. They're blind. They're blind. They're walking in the darkness. They're fumbling. They're groping. They're trying to find their way. But they have no sense of direction. And finally they tumble over the precipice into that fiery pit of darkness and torment called hell. For eternally separated from God. Oh don't sit back smugly and think about oh yeah I'm a Christian. You know, I was a, my grandmother was a Christian. I grew up, I went to Bible school. Oh, listen, you make sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You make sure that you've made a commitment to follow Him. You make sure that you've repented of your sins and turned your back on the sinful ways, sinful habits, sinful relationships, and a sinful world. And you've got your eyes focused on Jesus Christ and you're following Him because if you're not, you're walking in the dark. Praise God! His word is like a mighty beacon light. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It is a light to my path. We have the glorious privilege of walking and knowing where we're going. Seeing life like it really is. Because the light of God's word shines upon us. First of all in Christ. And then in his holy scriptures. Let's move on to the next stanza. 113 verse 113. He says I I hate the double minded. And your translation may say the, those with vain thoughts. And it's interesting because literally it means those with divided minds or divided hearts. It's interesting that we find ourselves right in the throes of a political season. And we're hearing a lot of stuff, aren't we? We're hearing a whole lot of promises. And i got news for you folks. It's only going to get worse. And you know, don't you just wish... That one-tenth of what the politicians promised that they'll do, they would actually do. If ever there was a group of people who had divided minds and divided hearts, I'm afraid it's those who weren't running for public office. They'll tell you anything you want to hear and, and, and just to get your vote. And then once you've got to, they're sitting in that comfortable office with all the plush uh, uh, benefits that we provide for them, they forget everything they've ever said. Double-minded! Divided in their minds. Divided in their hearts. They'll go any direction that anybody will put money in their pockets. But listen, our politicians are just a representation of our nation. Because most Americans are that way. And the psalmist says, I, I, I hate double-minded people. But Lord, I love your law. Why? Because you can depend upon it. What God said 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, what God said in the very beginning is the same. It's true, and it'll always be true. God has never broken a promise. And His Word are filled with His wonderful promises. 
As we look at the next stanza in verse 126, he says, it's, It is time for you to act, O Lord. How many of y'all have felt that? Just listen to Pastor Tim pray that prayer of supplication in the midst of these hideous wars that are going on, the senseless bombings on innocent people. Listen to the plagues that are going on. Listen to the terrorism that's taking place internationally, but right here in our own nation. When we see the, 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 the senseless, merciless, domestic violence killing, the people are killing people like animals nowadays. Hey, listen, do you ever find yourself saying, God, if you're looking for a good time to act, now's a good time. Now's a good time to act. And the psalmist found himself saying that too. He says, it's time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. In other words, they've broken your law Oh God, listen, our secular humanistic culture in which we live has for all practical purposes denied or just absolutely ignored God. They treat His Word with disdain and they treat His Word with with disrespect and animosity. Oh God, we need You to act. Well, consider this, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe God has already started acting. Maybe the very things that cause us to fret about the condition of our world and the condition of our country may be Almighty, Sovereign, Holy, Just God gradually, ever so slowly, like a spiritual eclipse, removing His hand of mercy off of man. He's done it before. He's done it before. You go back and read in Genesis chapter 6 and you see where God allowed sinful man just to run the full course. God took His hand off of mankind and just just let them run the full course of their wickedness and immorality and decadence. And you see what happened. God had to destroy the whole world. Oh Lord, it's time for you to act. Moving forward into the next stanzas, we look at verses 129, verse 30. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. You want to understand God's word? Read it. Study it. Meditate upon it. Spend time in the word of God. Don't just flippantly turn a page of the Bible and say, okay, I've read it. I'm all for reading through the Bible. It's great that you be exposed to the whole Scripture. But let me tell you something. You've got to do a little bit more than that. My dad's farm would have never brought forth any kind of crops if all he did was went along with a little little plow going on top of the road, just kind of on top of the ground, just kind of scratching it here and there. Oh no, he had to sink that plow deep down into the ground. He had to let that plow blade get on down past the topsoil, deep into the subsoil, and pull up the minerals and the, the and the nutrients of the soil that would cause that crop to grow. Listen, if you're not getting deep in the Word of God, if you're not taking time to meditate upon the Word of God, you won't get the full benefit of the Word of God. And that's what the psalmist is saying there. I'm so thankful that we don't serve a mysterious deity who basically hides himself from us and we have to kind of prod him and and, and go through rituals and all kinds of, you know, uh, uh, incantations or whatever to get him to reveal something about himself. No, God is fully, he's fully revealed everything he wants us to know. It's right here. It's right here. And his testimony is a wonderful and our soul will keep them. And when we go to God's Word, He shines His life into it. Listen, God has never more 
perfectly revealed Himself than He did through His Son, Jesus Christ. I think it was interesting. Jesus told His disciples there in John 14, He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father with Me. And He says, the Father and I are one. And then Philip, just like Charlie Martin would say, oh, well, then Lord, show us the Father. <laughs> I'm sure Jesus is about to say, I've been with you three years. Poured my life into he said basically to them, and He says it to us, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. We have seen God. We've seen Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And if that's not good enough, we have the Word of God that 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness that the man and woman may be perfect in every way with God. Oh, listen, God is not a secretive God. He's God a full revelation as we move forward. Look at verse 137 in the next stanza. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. You know what it tells me? Make no mistake about it. No matter what your circumstances are, dear friend, I realize even in a group this size, there are people in all different walks and people facing all different things. You may, you may be going along good and everything's going well and you're feeling good, but let me tell you something. That'll change. And when circumstances change and you find yourself dealing with pain and hardship and you've gone through a trial, you've gone through a crisis, there's something that has absolutely knocked the breath out of you. i got good news for you. God is righteous. His ways are right. And we can count on Him. Make no mistake, whatever the circumstances of your life is, God is righteous. He, is, he will always deal with you and me righteously. He will always deal with you and me in the right way. God will never mistreat you. He will never slight you. He will always do that which is best. You can trust in the Lord. Amen? I think about Job. Good old Job there in Job chapter 13 verse 15. Job said, Though He slay me, yet I will trust Him. And God's Word gives us that element of confidence and trust as we drop to the next stanza in verse 145 verse 146 he says I cry out with my whole heart hear me O Lord I will keep your statutes I, I cry out to you I, save me I will keep your testimonies do you hear what the psalmist is saying he's, 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 he's letting us see an earnest lament from his heart I told you everything wasn't going roses for him everything wasn't going smooth for him and he's crying out to God with this earnest, heartfelt lament. Not just asking God for something, but notice what he's saying. Notice what he's saying. I cry out to you with my whole heart. Oh Lord, please hear me. But he says, I will keep your statutes. What are you saying back to God when you're crying out to God? Oh Lord, help me. I'm about to lose my job. Oh Lord, help me. I've got a loved one in the hospital. Oh Lord, help me. I'm facing this financial crisis. It's okay to cry out to God. But what are you saying back in return? What assurances are you giving to God that you're willing to make some alterations and corrections in your life? And the psalmist says, Oh, listen, I will keep your statutes. Save me. I will keep your testimonies. Maybe God's waiting to hear back from you. Lord, yes, I need your help. But listen, I want you to understand, Lord, I am willing to go forth with a commitment that I'm going to be a better student of your word. I'm going to be a better proclaimer of your word. I'm going to be a better witness for you. I'm going to live my life more for you. What have you said back to God? As we look at the next stanza, verse 154, he says, Plead my cause and redeem me. 
Revive me according to your word. God makes the best defense attorney of all. God knows it's better than anyone. And when the accuser, Satan, comes and points his finger at us and, and points to all of our shortcomings and our spiritual misgivings and our sins and our faults, let me tell you something. We have an advocate. We have one who is standing by the right hand of God the Father who is vouching for you and me. And every time Satan points a finger at you and me and tries to show how uh, unworthy we are, how sinful you, we are, then Jesus is just saying to the Father, Father, I've already covered that. They're covered. They're covered by my blood. They're one of yours. Hallelujah. And he says, oh, plead my cause. Redeem me. But look what he says. Revive me according to your word. You know, if you know me, if you've been in my, under my ministry for any time, you know that the subject of revival is something that is very, very close to my heart. Something I'm very passionate about. I prayed earnestly. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying the fact. <clears throat> I prayed for decades on a regular basis. Oh God, bring revival. Please send a revival. We, the church, the people of God need reviving, oh God. If there's any hope for this nation, you've got to revive the body of Christ, oh God. And the psalmist says that revival comes. But it comes through the Word of God. It doesn't come through big music and, and, and motivational speakers. It comes through getting back to the Word of God. I learned a lesson. Don't ask God for something if you're not ready for it. Because after praying for decades for revival to come, I discovered three and a half years ago, God was ready to do it. Right here. He had us look at the way that we were practicing church. And He looked at the ridiculous cultural things that we were doing that were pretty much for man's entertainment and man's pleasure. And God was saying, you're leaving a key ingredient. You're leaving me out of it. You're not basing it on the Word of God. You're not practicing biblical Christianity. Get back to the Word. If you want revival, get back to the Word of God. Preach the Word of God. Practice the Word of God. Proclaim the Word of God. Then I will revive you as a church. I know you look around and you say, well, yeah, but you're smaller. That's another thing which God was trying to say. It's not about numbers. It's not about bodies, buildings, and budgets. It's about godly disciples who are in the Word of God, trained in the Word of God, practicing the Word of God, being held accountable to the Word of God. Let me tell you something. There is a revival going on in this church. And a, we're praying that the revival, the same spirit of revival, will go out there and counter the forces of cultural Christianity. But it has to be based on the Word of God. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, when he's given us that whole list of the spiritual warfare the armor that we have from God, he says, and put on or, or take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The greatest weapon we have to battle against sin and Satan is the Word of God. And, and, and that's what we have to do. I mentioned how our convention was so deeply mired in liberalism. And I remember as a young ministerial student back in the mid-80s, or early 80s, our convention, our Southern Baptist convention was very liberal. Top to bottom. And they were godly men and women. Southern Baptist grassroots believers who were praying. They were praying that God would, would save our denomination. Would revive our denomination. 
And I praise God I was able to witness what God did in, in an absolute supernatural working of God as, a, as we were praying that God would bring us back to the Word. Let me tell you something. We were getting a lot of press because the Southern Baptist Convention at that time was embroiled in what they, the press was calling the battle over the Bible. The battle over the Bible. But I witnessed firsthand as God raised up great godly, saintly servants of the Word of God like Dr. Adrian Rogers and Dr. Charles Stanley, Dr. Jimmy Draper, Dr. W.A. Criswell, godly men who, who led this convention with the Spirit of God leading us to turn our convention back to the Word of God. You talk about a revival for a denomination where so many other mainline denominations are continuing on that deadly path towards liberalism, I'm thankful to God to say to you today as Southern Baptists that our whole convention from top to bottom is under godly men who love the Word of God, who cherish the Word of God, who are teaching the Word of God and are held accountable to the Word of God. That's the revival that God is calling us back to. In verse 161, He says, The princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I think about old Daniel in the book of Daniel. There he was. The princes falsely accused him. And there that saintly, godly man cast down into that den. Listen, there as danger crouched all around him on every side, I tell you something, he was oblivious to it. Because his eyes were on his awesome God. His mind was stayed perfectly on God's eternal promises. And more important than that, ladies and gentlemen, the eyes of Almighty God were on His faithful servant. God saw this servant who put his trust in the Word of God. He wouldn't let those lines dare touch him. Maybe they licked him just a little bit. And I'm telling you something today. You make the Word of God a priority in your life. You harbor the Word of God in your heart. You read it. You, you meditate upon it. You make it the, the love of your life. And let me tell you something. The eyes of God will never leave you. He will absolutely revive you in your walk as a child of God. And then we close. thought I'd get a sigh of relief about now. Psalm 1, uh, verse 176, the last stanza. The psalmist says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Let me say something right off the bat. <clears throat> the psalmist is in no way implying that he is an apostate. That he's lost his salvation. That he's lost his relationship with God. Unfortunately, there are some denominations like the Church of Christ out there that pass off that false Theology and leaves a lot of people with very much insecurity. That's not what he's saying there. You know what he's saying? As a child of God, he strayed. As a child of God, he strayed. And guess what? Sometimes we will stray. Sometimes we will not be as close to God as we once were. Let me tell you something. When the vicious storms of adversity and crisis and tragedy blow us off course from the will of God and close communion with God, we can stand up a virtual spiritual SOS or May Day because the Word of God is in our heart. And no matter how t- 
tense things are, no matter how violent the storm is, no matter how hopeless the circumstances may be. Let me tell you something. When we send up that spiritual SOS through the Word of God, we got the sovereign God of the universe on our side. He hears our humble plea, and He is a compassionate and faithful God, and He will come and rescue us. You know that biblical image of the shepherd who goes out to find the one of the hundred sheep that it strayed. And as that shepherd goes out there, he looks with a heart of compassion, a heart of deep love and devotion. And he snatches that little sheep, that stray sheep, right out of the clutches of its predator. And he holds that little sheep closely to his heart. And he takes him back into the safety of the fold of his love. If you've strayed from God, I've got to get good news for you. He's not taking His eyes off of you. He's not forgotten about you. You just send up a spiritual SOS. You just let the Lord know that you know you're not as close to Him as you used to be, as you want to be. And I promise you, every plea that comes from a child of God, the ears of the Good Shepherd will hear. And He will come. I don't care where you are. Spiritually, I don't care where you are circumstantially. I promise you, God will find you. God will restore you. He will bring you back. Because that's the wonderful God that we serve. Amen. Miracle of miracles. A preacher preached Psalm 119. and We didn't have to eat lunch first. I love the Word of God. I had the privilege of growing up in a home. With parents who loved the Word of God. They didn't leave us with riches. Real estate and all of that. They left us with something a whole lot more valuable than that. My parents and my grandparents and those who were so much a part of my early life left me with a love for God's Word. Parents, I know we want the best for our kids. We want nothing but the best for our grandchildren. We want to give them things, especially things that we didn't have. But I'm going to tell you, stand right here before you with this right here in my hand and tell you, you can't give your children, you can't give your grandchildren anything more valuable with lasting impact upon their life for years and years to come than the Word of God. And I say, thank God for His holy, divinely inspired, absolutely infallible, inerrant, Word of God.